You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Thanks for tuning into the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. We continually are trying new things with the show. So if you'd like new questions or you have any new suggestions for us, feel free to reach out. We're happy to hear it. A couple of you listeners have, and we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to be on the show as either a millionaire interview or as a guest interview, please feel free to reach out. We're happy to have anybody on. We've had many guest interviews who aren't yet millionaires, but are on their way to becoming such. So also, we have some multifamily investing opportunities uh, in both the Southwest and the Northeast regions. We've continually had high IRRs and success, and we're partnering with a couple guys that have a great track record of success. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you're interested in investing, please feel, reach, please feel free to reach out. We continue to work on uh, audio quality and other things with the show. So thanks again for tuning in and listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. So today's episode features Tyler. He's an engineer in Canada that works in the oil and gas industry. He has a current net worth of about $1.2 million, and he is only 30 years old. And so we talked to him about how he was able to grow his net worth so high so quickly and whether being a millionaire has made him happy, how that's increased his happiness levels. We also asked some rapid-fire questions, his most expensive jeans, car purchase, shoes, and some other fun things. He talks about real estate properties. He's invested in a few real estate properties, and he talks about how he's playing the appreciation game more more than the uh, the cash flow. And so without further ado, let's get into the interview with Tyler. Welcome to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. Today on the show, we have Tyler. Tyler, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're doing now? Sure. Um, so I'm from Canada. Uh, I've lived in Vancouver and Calgary for the last uh, seven or 15 years. Uh, and, uh, um, by trade, I'm an engineer. I graduated from UBC around seven, eight years ago. And, uh, I've been in the oil and gas sector ever since then. Um, I've done multiple roles in the oil and gas sector. And then earlier on, I got into real estate as well in the Vancouver market, which has done quite well, which helped my journey quite a lot. And, uh, yeah, I survived the downturn of oil, and uh, um, I'm looking forward to what comes next. Good stuff. And what is your net worth today? Uh, as of this morning, I calculated it. It was about 1.2, just a hair under. And, and how is that broken up now? So I can share that with you. It's about um, – I actually have a spreadsheet here. So it's about – Eight hundred and about thirty thousand dollars in in stocks. That includes the the Roth and uh, I believe in the states you have Roth and four hundred one ks. We have TS uh, TFSA and RRSPs, and the other uh, about three hundred to four hundred is in real estate. And and those uh, retirement accounts, I guess let's call them our investment accounts. How are those broken down? What do you invest in in those? So, uh, do you mean uh, the amount or uh, the the holdings? The holdings. Oh, the holdings. Um, so, in my TFSA account, I have fifty-five thousand, and RSP account, I have eighty, and they're all uh, 
ETFs or I have some weed stocks as well, but um, I, I don't like the the volatility in them. So I prefer to choose the VD, uh, the weed ETF, which is HMMJ. And that's how I'm kind of playing that sector. And a lot of oil stocks, about 40% of my stock portfolio is oil stocks. Um, and I've just picked them up within the last six months just because I think I understand the industry well enough. And I think it's on the um, on a turning point right now. So that's why I'm sort of hedging my, well, not hedging my bets. That's what I'm sort of betting for right now. Gotcha. And so have you, have you kind of maxed out those retirement accounts since you began working or, or how have you done that? Um, I have maxed out my TFSA account. Um, uh, the max I could have in, I've, I've put in that money. Uh, for my RSP account, no. Uh, I think I still have about $50,000 worth of room. And the reason I didn't put it in um, was due to, I wanted to have some free cash flow available for some real estate uh, options and I wanted to sort of start a business on the side. So I just wanted some some liquidity in my uh, holding so I could you know pull from stocks anytime I want. Because I'm not sure you really can't pull without paying you know a lot of interest uh, or sorry taxes on it when you actually pull it out. Right, right. So which came first, the real estate or the or the small business? Uh, the real estate. Yeah. So uh, I'm not part of a small business anymore. I used to do a lot of consulting work and I think that was part of my red post as well. Um, my, uh, I think I called it a side hustle. Yeah. That was, uh, I did it about for a year and then I realized I was working too hard and, uh, because I didn't really have a lot of time to, to really enjoy anything. And so I kind of took that away, but right now I'm, I want to be a silent partner in a couple of other joint ventures with uh, a few of my friends who are in uh, in uh, the, the tech industry and they're doing a few startups. So the the consulting, was it in the area that you worked or, or something totally yeah. different? No, it was in, in mining. Um, I was working for a few junior mining companies and doing some analysis for them and costing and, and uh, trade-off studies uh, to see what business made uh, the most sense for them. Gotcha. And you mentioned that you were able to cover about 75% of your expenses, right? Or your living expenses. Yes. Yes. So um, it, it, that business all, uh, almost came up to how much I wanted to put in. So to give you an idea, at that point, I was working a shift that is seven days on, seven days off. So it's 12 hours a day. And uh, at, at night, I would probably have four hours before I wanted to kind of eat, sleep, work out and whatever. So I used to kind of squeeze in about maybe an hour or two of work then but on my days off i had seven days free and it just depended on my schedule how much time i wanted to put in because there was plenty of work at the time after that the the market sort of took a downturn in the in the resource industry as well so i kind of just gave that up uh, and just started concentrating on uh, on real estate and also uh, some hobbies i kind of developed over time so how did the real estate start how did you kind of know what you wanted to buy and, and how'd you get into that? Um, that was something I started looking when I was in university. I know my, my parents at that time had some money lying around and uh, one of their friends was inve investing in, in condos in, in Vancouver. So I kind of got involved with that and I started doing, you know, real estate viewings with them and going to all these condos and kind of looking at it. Well, my dad sort of wanted to buy and my dad actually got into a condo. And after that, uh, he did 
pretty okay. I think uh, he was cash flow positive um, within the first uh, couple of months. I think we had a hard time renting it at the time. And then once uh, I graduated, actually, the first thing I did was buy a house in the town I moved in. And it was in northern Alberta. And uh, it's a boom and bust town. And uh, so I bought a place there. And uh, pretty much from university, I had some money lying around. And when I signed up for the job up in northern Alberta, I got a uh, signing bonus. And I put it all towards a down payment. And I bought my first property then. Um, so I graduated in May. I had a property by August. Um, and then I, I think I did borrow about 20000 from my parents, but I paid them back by like December because I was slightly short. And uh, in Canada, we have uh, CMHC. So that's an insurance that you have to pay if your down payment is under 20%. And to avoid that, I wanted to get the $20,000 because I didn't want you know, that CMHC tacked onto my mortgage for 25 years. You know, so that's what you had to kind of pay extra. I think it was another $10,000 or something. And then about a year later, uh, so that was August. And then uh, not the January after, but the, the January after that, um, my parents and I were in Vancouver and we started looking at condos and then we purchased our first condo then. Um, and yeah, I bought it myself, but my dad kind of helped me out because he kind of understood the, the market a lot better than me. And back then, the condos were quite cheap. I think the first property I bought was around 400 just a hair over. And probably right now, it's up, I would say, another two, $300,000, probably closer to three hundred. Yeah. So it's done quite well because I think I found the way these properties right at the, um, the plateau where Vancouver was. And after that, it just kind of blew up and... Uh, uh, yeah, in the last two, three years, uh, people have, some people have doubled their money if they had uh, a, a single detached home. Um, but I always stuck with condos. Do you have HOA fees or any other type of fees for those in Canada? Uh, yeah, we have uh, management fees, we call it, uh, or maintenance fees, sorry. And uh, in, uh, so for the first condo I mentioned, it was about, it, it is about $300 a month. Okay, so similar to the United States, sometimes those can, can eat into the returns on the condos. Was that something that you considered when you were buying those, or was it didn't really matter? No, no, I actually did because uh, uh, I'm an engineer by trade, so I have, a, I have a spreadsheet for everything. So I built a spreadsheet that has the, the analysis for the, the rental analysis and the, and the ROIs and the, and the payback period for all these condos and I do put in the maintenance fees in it and actually one of the reasons I chose Vancouver over where I was living at the time uh, or actually living a year after was Calgary uh, because Calgary a condo which is a similar size to Vancouver might have um, their maintenance fees up to $500 instead of three so Calgary tends to be a lot more expensive especially if you go for a thousand square foot condos actually I was just looking a week ago the maintenance fee was like $750, which was ridiculous for me. Like I, I can't make the math work for condos like that and uh, make them cash flow positive. Yeah. So you've obviously done extremely well for yourself. Over the last, let's just call it decade, ever since you graduated university, what's kind mm -hmm. of been your, your savings rate that you've put into these retirement accounts and that you've kind of invested in real estate? So... 
about a decade ago, I was still in university and I don't think I had a savings, uh, um, any savings plan, but um, I started doing a lot of co-op work when I was in, in university and uh, I ended up saving a lot of money, but it all kind of ended up going towards my tuition at the time. Uh, but by the time I graduated, which was, let's say, seven years ago, um, I had about thirty, forty thousand dollars in actually mostly stocks at the time. And uh, uh, that's kind of when I learned the lesson about not investing in junior mining companies because, you know, I was in mining. I was young and ambitious. And, you know, you see some of these junior mining companies selling for 50 cents and next year they're at five dollars. So, you know, uh um, I started investing in a few of those and I learned my lesson pretty quick and uh, I actually didn't sell any of those stocks. I still have them with me as a reminder. I'm actually just looking at a couple of them down 98%. I only had about four or $5,000 in them at the time, but I keep them as a reminder and I haven't kind of used them as a tax credit yet. But so when I yeah graduated from university, my savings were around 40000 and then after that, I was saving around 70% of my salary, uh, if not a bit more, 80% um, year after year. And I've sort of continued on that trend until now. Um, the house I bought that I mentioned right after graduation, uh, I was renting. It was a three-bedroom house and a fourth bedroom in the basement. And the basement was uh, a walkout basement. So between renting one room up top, and me keeping another room and keeping one room empty. And uh, I used to rent the basement out. It used to cover the entire mortgage and I just used to pay the utilities on it. So that sort of really helped me with my savings rate. And then I was lucky enough um, when I did move to Calgary um, that my company ended up paying for my accommodation. So I didn't have to spend a lot of money there as well. And uh, and then I moved back into that house uh, until uh, I was uh, evacuated due to the wildfires that happened in northern Canada. And uh, after that, uh, I started paying rent, but uh, uh, my savings rate was still around 70, I would say, 70% at the time. Yeah. So you basically started out house hacking, as we call it, and then you you got a, a nice package, comp package that included housing as part of your as part of your comp correct all right so now you get yourself to millionaire status where do you go from here do you have a target net worth or target cash flow you want to hit i don't think i have a target net worth per se i think the next part would obviously be two million and uh after that uh, you know i do surf reddit a lot and uh the the fire subreddit and a lot of people you know they want to save the two million or three million or whatever you have and uh, sort of retire at that point would give me the ability to um, sort of jump ship anytime I want if, if I'm unhappy with the work. I won't be stuck because of my salary or, or, or anything. And I could probably take two, three months off and find different work if I, if I want to. So that's what I'm kind of aiming for $2 million because it'll give me the, the financial independence to make some of these tougher decisions. But in the long term, it'd be nice to retire with about five to $7 million. And uh, I do want to sort of build that over some sort of fixed income that I would get from, let's say, real estate and uh, um, and or like dividend stocks. 
Uh, I do not have any plan for selling any of the condos that I've purchased because uh, one of my dad's mentors once told me, he's like, you know, you can, you can, a lot of people in Vancouver are flipping condos. And uh, he's like, you can, you can get a lot of money by flipping condos, but you can build wealth. And it never kind of stuck with me. I, I, well, it always stuck with me, but I never understood it um, until I started kind of looking at it. And now when I want to refinance my condos and actually use the equity built in them to buy another place, that's how I understood that what, what the difference between, you know, just making money and wealth is. And I think that's the ability just holding some of these properties long term uh, would kind of give you because, you know, you have that much credit with the bank. Uh, it's easier for you to get line of credits. It's easier for you to get mortgages and uh, you can sort of just re um, allocate that capital into more properties or whatever you want to kind of do with it. So the properties you have now, are they cash flowing? And if so, how uh, much? Um, one of them is. The other one I bought is, so one of them is probably making about 300 to $400 a month. Um, and the other one is probably losing about $100. And uh, the reason, um, one thing I've realized about Vancouver, and I know a lot of people sort of, go for the cash flow positive thing. The reason with Vancouver is there's not a lot of properties that are cash flow positive. Like uh, actually I can go in the market right now and you won't find a lot of properties that are cash flow positive or actually any actually in Vancouver. Uh, I even tried looking in Calgary. It's, it's a hard thing to find um, unless if you sort of go in the up and coming neighborhoods and I just am not comfortable with that. And even in Toronto, it's hard to find cash flow positive properties there. And I think what the market trend has been is you sort of make up your money from the capital appreciation and you're sort of leverage, right? So I'm only putting 20% down, but as the condo goes up, let's say, you know, from 400,000 to, to 500,000, I've actually made, you know, I've doubled my money because I've only put in about a hundred grand. Right. It's not I've only made 25 percent of double my money. So it's the it's a leveraging aspect that sort of I'm aiming for or I think I can aim for in Canada. Um, and none of the hot markets that I've found actually would have a lot of cash flow positive properties. Um, I know in smaller towns you can like in the northern Alberta town in Fort Murray. Uh, definitely. You could easily do that. Uh, but then you have the risk of it being a boom and bust town. So when it goes bust, which it did in the last three years, and especially after the, after the wildfires, yeah, like it is, it, I know I have some friends right now, even though the oil market is kind of picking up, they're having a hard time renting those properties. But when the times were good, you could rent them for, you know, uh, so actually when I was living away in Calgary, I was making about $1,500 from my house in Fort Marie, cash flow positive. So, which was a crazy amount at the time. Now, I don't think I would be cash flow positive in that in the current market. And so going, going forward in the future, do you plan to keep kind of buying condos and maintain that real estate or buy up, or do you just kind of see your investment strategy changing at all? Um, it has changed in the last, I would say, two years. And part of the reason was due to my house, uh, sort of being lost the wildfires, I had to pull pull money out of my savings account 
um, and we start the rebuild process until the insurance money came in. So I ended up selling pretty much all my equities at the time and sort of allocated that capital towards the rebuild. And after that, I'm kind of in the market looking for maybe new real estate opportunities. Um, but um, in the meantime, I'm just kind of holding all the stock. So I think in the in the future, what I'm looking at right now is uh, in Vancouver or just outside of Vancouver in one of the suburbs, buying a, a single detached home. Um, because I think that might have a better value going into the future than, let's say, the condos. I think the condos right now are really attractive uh, for people, especially in my generation, because that's something they can afford. You know, if, if you do have a dream of, you know, owning a a, a place, um, that then you most likely would settle for a condo or a townhouse. But I think everybody who is sitting in a condo or a townhouse who is sort of uh, in my age bracket, they will be looking to upgrade in uh, to a detached home. So I want to sort of get into that market now and actually buy a cheaper detached home. And then maybe in the future, let's say 10 years from now, just redevelop it into a newer home and sort of uh, either rent, rent it out or let's see how the market's going and kind of sell it. So that's the demographic I'm kind of going towards right now because it seems like the Vancouver market's kind of cooled down. So I know a lot of people are sort of selling or, or on the fence. Um, I'm kind of looking to buy right now. And because I do see a, a good bright future for, for that market, even though it's plateauing right now, because you can always build more condos. It's really hard to sort of find land to build a new house. So that's why I wanted to start investing in, in land in the next, I would say, well, next five years and sort of reassess. I reassess my finances every, about every quarter to see what I'm doing and uh, what I should be doing differently. Yeah. So just changing gears here, you know, you're 30 years old, right? Net worth of 1.2. That's that's pretty crazy, right? Do your friends know how financially successful you are? I think only one friend does. And uh, I just kind of, uh, we were drinking one night and, you know, we started talking about his finances and it just kind of came out. And I was sort of, I started helping him out with a few of his things. But other than that, most of my friends don't. I think the only person, I think two or three of my close friends really do, my parents and my girlfriend. That's about it. Yeah. So what advice do you give someone that's, you know, a millennial and, and they're in their 20s, they graduated from college and maybe they have that goal to hit their million by 30 or 35? What are, what are kind of the main lessons that you took away from your journey? Well, I was working with a lot of people and uh, who, who were making a lot more than me. And and the stereotypes are true. People in the oil industry, uh, the the workers who work on the rigs and and the operators, they are not very good with their money. Some are, but most, from what I've realized, aren't. Aren't, and it's not because they don't want to be. I don't think they have the education aspect behind it. Um, so, I definitely recommend people. Just, you know, if they're in university, kind of sort of start, uh, you know, worsening yourself with with some of the um, investment opportunities out there and how to sort of manage your money with, you know, use the Canadian couch potato theory, for, for example, which, you know, sort of picks three ETFs, allocate your funds to that, all your savings to that. 
and sort of just, you know, until you don't learn about stocks and if you don't want to pick individual equities, just sort of go with the, you know, the, the true and tried method. Um, the other thing um, I would sort of recommend is, yeah, how to manage your money properly, because coming back to the original point, I have a friend who's 28 years old and he's always done well and he's probably still making more money than me, but he's traded and he's had 15 vehicles since he was 18. So in the last 10 years, he's had 15 vehicles. So can he afford it? Yes. Is he saving? No. So, you know, figure out what your financial goals are and sort of aim towards that. And, uh, you know, if you do want to own 15 vehicles, 100%, you know, go for it. Um, um, But most likely those people won't be sort of listening to your podcast because I think a lot of people would be into the savings aspect of it. So, you know, if you really want to do that, I use Reddit a lot with for good ideas. Actually, even when I posted, a few of the people told me, um, you know, you could offset your RSP uh, contributions for, you know, um, the, the following year. And that's when you can get your tax return. So that's something I didn't actually know. So I was still sort of learning and, you know, use if you want to learn about stocks, can recommend uh, the Intelligent Investor. Uh, you know, I think it's one of the best books ever written. If you want to go into the value investing uh, investing side of it, um, if you want to go into real estate, pick up a few books and sort of start reading. And right now, there's so many resources available with YouTube, podcasts, books, and you know, just trying to find it and honestly take a chance. Uh, that's that's one of the other things and. You know, I might have a biased opinion because some of these chances worked out well for me. Um, but uh, when I was actually investing in my first condo in Vancouver, every single one of my friends told me not to because they're like, hey, the Vancouver market is at an all time high and you will end up losing it. Uh, you'll end up losing a lot of money. Um, the theory that kind of worked for me was I don't plan on selling any of these condos in the next 10, 20, 30 years. So it doesn't really matter if the market goes down by 20% if I have no reason to sell it. If I'm still getting my rental income, it doesn't really matter. And that's the theory I kind of use for my real estate holdings was if I'm not planning on selling it, market fluctuation shouldn't, shouldn't you know, bother me. And it's the same thing with stocks. If I'm not planning on selling, it doesn't really matter if the market goes down. In the last three months, the market hasn't done quite well, but I'm not really selling anything. So that's another thing. I think it's a patient aspect of it. So... You know, the Vancouver market went down, whatever, three, four years ago. Um, I still would have held on to my properties, but it worked out well for me. And, you know, my condo went from being, let's say, you know, a $400,000 condo to closer to a six, $700,000 condo. So, you know, I would have missed out on all those gains if I didn't take that chance. Um, but again, you know, if you're not willing to, to, to take a chance, you might sort of have a hard time getting to where you sort of want to be i think do you feel like your risk was high in those in those real estate properties or in other maybe investments that that you've made uh yes my risk for um for my house in fort of murray was definitely high um because it was a boom and bust town and i was fairly new i that was my first real estate transaction and i did do my research though and I talked to a lot of people and read up quite a bit. Uh, I could have done well with a condo. You know, I could have just bought a condo and stayed there. 
uh, I decided to go with the house option just because they tend to retain their value quite well. And it kind of worked out for me because compared to the condos, my house has retained its value quite well. And plus, I could turn that you know house into a cash flow positive property, which I couldn't have done that with the condo while living in it. You know, so that's that was my decision. I ended up paying about two hundred thousand dollars more, but it was a bigger, riskier in, in, investment. Um, but in the long term, now if I would say my house did not burn down, um, I would be looking at you know renovating a big portion of my house and then putting it on the market. But uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, the fire kind of did my work for me and I ended up rebuilding the house. Um, so, you know, I didn't have to spend that capital, but yes, if, if it didn't uh, get affected by the wildfires, I think, yes, I would have maybe lost a, f- a bit of money on it. Uh, but in the end, you know, it, it did serve as a shelter for me. So, you know, uh, I, I haven't accounted that in my, in my models or anything. Right. As for the Vancouver markets, yeah, I, I don't think they were risky investments, especially if my time horizon was about 20, 30 years. I really don't think so. Um, just because Vancouver ends up being one of the most desirable places to live. Uh, a lot of people want to retire in Vancouver. There's a lot of foreign capital coming into Vancouver. Um, I wouldn't say it's at the same level as New York being an international city. But for Canada, I would say Montreal, Toronto and Vancouver are the three big international cities. And uh it was close to home for me, so I didn't have to get a property manager. I could manage it myself. And um, so I think the risk was low if my time horizon was long. I think my risk would have been higher if I was just planning on buying the condo and flipping it. Yeah. Gotcha. So being a millionaire at such a young age, at 30, worth 1.2, has that increased your happiness levels? Or was there kind of a, a time that you hit that you said, okay, you know, I'm not really noticing a difference or any effect on happiness or not? That's a very good question. I haven't really thought about that. Um, I think, yes, in the sense that you don't stress over money as much, you know. Um, if uh, So I remember when I had my first house, you know, if it went, if my basement went off rent, I would be like, okay, I really need to find a new tenant. Otherwise, I'm going to lose, let's say, $1,500 this month. So, you know, at that point, yes, um, maybe it was stressful. But but at this point, I think having enough uh, capital sort of offsets some of the emergency expenses you might see. So, I mean, the biggest emergency expense for me was literally my house burning down, the one I was living in. You know, and I was looking at a bill of about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars to rebuild it if insurance didn't cover it. And at the at the start of it, actually, the insurance wasn't covering it. They weren't covering uh, because I was underinsured because the policy they sold me didn't account for certain aspects of it. So I was going to be short about one hundred thousand dollars. And at that point, you know, I would have probably chosen not to build my house if I didn't have enough savings. You know, uh, I wouldn't say it wasn't stressful, but I think it was stressful for a week until I got everything in order. And then I wouldn't say my happiness went from zero to 100. But, you know, I was content that I can manage this. In the end, the insurance company ended up covering all of it. Um, but, you know, 
I think having the funds available to you does offset a lot of the stress that you might get from, you know, your rent payment being due or some new car breaks down or anything like that. Um, I don't think it's made it made me happier. I do enjoy traveling. It makes that easier for me. You know, I can do some last minute deals or last minute traveling and end up paying, you know, probably $500 more for my trip. It doesn't really bother me too much. So it kind of, you know, has that sort of luxury aspect to it. But other than that, uh, I think I've always been quite positive in my outlook. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So we've been we've been trying this new thing with with some of the interviews we've been doing some rapid fire questions. Sure. So I'm just going to probably six or seven questions here. So most sure. expensive jeans you've ever bought. 120. Most expensive shoes. 100. Most expensive car. <laughs> 80. Most expensive meal out that you've paid for. Hundred and uh, for myself or for everyone or from like anything that you paid for, yeah, day any just oh, you whatever. Hundred and fifty. Okay, what items do you are worth spending the money on? One of my biggest hobbies is cars, so for me it's cars. Yeah. Okay, and and what's not worth spending the money on? Um, extra expensive clothes, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, high school and college GPA. Oh, high school, 4.0, college, 2.7. <laughs> I don't want to laugh, but, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, high school, you killed your... at college, you took a break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what was your first job out of college, and, and how much did you make? First job was being a project engineer, and the salary was, with all the compensation package, closer to 110 Wow. So just in closing here, any last advice you give to, to somebody? Anything else you want to share? Uh, for myself, um, I would say do your research, do your analysis, you know, uh, read up, always, always try to learn. Uh, that always worked out for me. You'll never know where you'll kind of find that nugget of information that might end up saving you a bit of money uh, or making you a bit of money. Um, and, and take a chance. Uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, don't overextend yourself, but take a chance that you can manage for sure. Um, yeah. Awesome. So Tyler with a net worth of 1.2 million age 30. Thanks for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the millionaires unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.